My name is Andrew, and today I'd like to talk about a particular scene in the movie, The Matrix Reloaded. This is a tremendously significant scene. It is tremendously beautiful, amazingly calm, amazingly simple. It's the scene where Neo is talking to the Oracle. Now, the last time Neo and the Oracle met, the Oracle said that he's not the one. Or at least she inferred it. She tricked him into thinking that he could say that about himself. And as it turns out, Neo is the one. And Neo has figured that out for himself now. And he stands before her. After all the trickery that she'd supposedly been through with the last meeting. And it's now obvious what has happened. This transformation. This coming into flourishing, this power, this self-knowledge that seems to be resonating from Neo. If ever there was a time when existential, large, philosophical themes were weighted on simple, small, and local settings, it was here in this scene. The implications of this scene are vast rich, and tremendously profound. The oracle says, well, come on, I ain't gonna bite you. Come round here and let me have a look at you. My goodness, look at you. You turned out all right, haven't you? Neo is standing there with his calm composure. Why don't you have a seat this time, she says. Maybe I'll stand, says Neo. Well, suit yourself says the oracle. This is significant. She's asking, why don't you sit down? And letting Neo take whichever way he wants, supposedly. This is a foreshadowing of the giving of advice and the taking of advice. It's fundamental to this interaction. It's also fundamental to what the existential themes can be realized by someone. What can the world give you? What can your place in the world give you, if you allow it? So, let's get the obvious stuff out of the way. We're starting simple. We're starting with the foundation. We're starting with as clear a picture of the parameters of this conversation as possible, which is why the oracle says, so, let's get the obvious stuff out of the way. Let's be as plain and as clear as we can from the get-go. What is the most obvious, plain, true thing that we can say? Neo says, you're not human, are you? If you understand the mythology and the mechanics of the Matrix story, it is obvious she is not a human. She is a machine. She is a program. This is significant because what things appear to be are not what they are. And that is absolutely obvious to Neo and the Oracle. That is the first thing that comes out when we ask this question, what is the most obvious thing? The most obvious thing is that things are not obvious. Things are not as real, as direct as they are. 
there's something else going on behind what's going into our eyeballs. It's tough to get any more obvious than that, says the oracle. Neo points out that she is from the machine world. The oracle nudges him on, and after a little bit of deliberation, Neo says, The most obvious question is, how can I trust you? Bingo. It is a pickle, no doubt about it. The bad news is there's no way if you can really know whether I'm here to help you or not. So it's really up to you. You just have to make up your own damn mind to either accept what I'm going to tell you or reject it. This is tremendously significant for anyone who was speaking in any context, not just the oracle and the chosen one. Not just the disciple and the master. Not just the teacher and the student. The mentor and the study. In every interaction between humans. There's no doubt about it. You just have to make up your own damn mind. And I think we can thread this into a larger theme, a larger process, which is that who is saving who? Who is helping who? Last time... The oracle spoke to Neo. It seemed that she had told him the wrong answers, the wrong things that he needed to hear. But in a funny sort of way, she had told him that because that was how he would arrive at the correct answer, at the right realizations, the most profound realizations, which is what he is. He is the chosen one. He has the significance of this entire story weighted on his shoulders. And it's a theme throughout this entire interaction that the oracle knows so much more than she lets on. And she is choosing very carefully which words to place into Neo so that he can hear it in a certain way as to infer realizations. You just have to make up your own damn mind to either accept what I'm going to tell you or reject it she says. And then she offers him some candy. And Neo, the chosen one, says, you already know if I'm going to take it or not. The oracle is like, of course, yes. I wouldn't be much of an oracle if I didn't. Neo says, but if I already know, how can I make a choice? You didn't come here to make the choice. You've already made it. You're here to try to understand why you made it. I thought you'd have figured that out by now. When you have a collapse of dualities, of motivations, of will, it's not you that makes choices. It's not you that does the happening. And this is why people who become enlightened often say that it didn't happen under something that they did. It wasn't because of a effort of their own that they became enlightened. It was something that somehow happened to them. It happened in existence. There was a larger context, and there was a collapse of this duality between choice and will. And this line, I thought you'd have figured that out by now, by the oracle, is the first undermining she gives him. She's putting him down. You seem to, on the surface, be this fully-fledged 
chosen one who has figured out all these different ins and outs and gone through all these realizations and learned how to stand on your own two feet and believe what you are and know what you are. But you haven't figured this out and you really should have. It's a little bit condescending for the oracle to say this to Neo. I thought you'd have figured this out by now. Sort of like the school kid that's lagging behind. Someone that should know better. It's quite confronting to tell someone that they should know better. So Neo asks, why are you here? And the oracle says, the same reason. I love candy. Now, when she says, I love candy, this might seem like a throwaway line. A line that we are glossing over. But it actually is quite significant that the oracle smokes and eats candy and bakes cookies. Because these are real-world things. These are matrix-world things. These are dream-world things. These are secondary to what is happening behind the veil of the matrix. Things aren't always as they appear, and the oracle knows this better than anyone. And yet she still participates in the veiled world. She is still one to go into the dream world and embrace it and enjoy it. Seemingly being at ease with the two worlds. We're all here to do what we're all here to do. This is very Hinduistic mythology as everyone plays their part in the cosmic role. Everyone has their point of being here. And yet, seemingly, in a contradiction that she puts right after this, saying that we're all here to do what we're all here to do, she says she's interested in one thing, the future, and the only way to get there is together. As if to say that it is possible that we can do things that we are not here to do. Of course, she then goes on to talk about how some programs are given things to do, and they rebel, they do their job, or they don't do their job. The ones that don't do their job, you hear about all the time. Every time you've heard someone say they saw a ghost or an angel, every time you heard a story about vampires or werewolves or aliens, is the system assimilating some program that's doing something they're not supposed to be doing. So this offers up an explanation of paranormal activities which shows that something is happening that shouldn't be happening. It also offers up a more seemingly scientific reason for why someone would see a ghost. We've had explanations before which are scientific for supernatural phenomena. And it's the creating of these stories or the happenings of these supernatural stories, which is the break between the world as we see it and the world that is not as it seems. The oracle then talks about how programs can face deletion. Maybe they break down, maybe there's a better program. Happens all the time. When a program faces deletion, they can either choose to hide or return to the source. This is a Buddhist implication of 
the wheel of life, the samsara. When you die, you can either be reincarnated and play the game all over again. Or if you are ready to leave this world, you are ready to go back to the source, to oneness. You can leave and never come back. This is the treadmill of life and death. This is the rat wheel of going through birth, life and death, birth, life and death. These are deep philosophical implications of what it is you really need for liberation. First, it might seem that death is a bad thing. Death is something that needs to be avoided. And that's why machines and other programs hide from it, hide from their deletion, escape their deletion, rather than returning to the source. And this foreshadows Neo's final stance, his final moment, the moment where he does return to the source. And of course, in the end, he becomes one with the source. And he isn't reincarnated. That's really the climax of the entire trilogy of these movies. It's being foreshadowed here by the Oracle. The Oracle says, yes, where you must go, where the path of the one ends. And here, she goes off on a little red herring again. You've seen it in your dreams, haven't you? The door made of light. And of course, we find out later that this door doesn't lead to the source. It leads to the architect. But the oracle knows that there's a whole bunch of other steps in between that need to happen. So she's leaving that all out. She's not explaining everything. This is tremendously important to understand that the oracle is not there to explain everything. She's also not there to explain things in the way that you would understand them. She's not going to tell it to you in a way that you would understand. She's going to manipulate the little bits of information and twist them into half-truths, into little things that will change how you think in just the right way for you to be able to arrive at the revelations yourself. Of course, it's Neo's own idea that he will go to the source under the guise of saving the Matrix from the nemesis, Agent Smith, for the return of peace from the machine world. And the Oracle is twisting and turning, not so much in a manipulative way, but an indirect way, and in a way which is going to get a right result, but not necessarily a guaranteed result. What happens when you go through the door? The oracle asks. I see Trinity, and something happens. Something bad. She starts to fall, and then I wake up. And here, the oracle breaks eye contact with Neo. She understands the gravity of this. So she asks, do you see her die? No, says Neo. You have the sight now, Neo. You are looking at the world without time. 
then why can't I see what happens to her? We can never see past the choices we don't understand. Are you saying I have to choose whether Trinity lives or dies? No, you've already made the choice. Now you have to understand it. This is shocking. This is doubling up on the weight of the responsibility of the Chosen One. On the surface, it might look like this personal, intimate relationship that Trinity and Neo have is just a side plot. It's just a love story that we put on the side of our main plot, the main hero's journey. But here, it is being revealed to Neo that this intimate relationship, the most important thing to him, the most sacred, pure, magical, beautiful love and profound thing that he has in his life is central to his journey. And not only that, but it's the destruction of this thing. It's the ending of this thing. It's the death of this person. This beauty, this love that is central to his choices. That is central to the narrative, to the responsibility, to the weight of the world, to the fate of mankind resting on his shoulders. Of course he says, no, I can't do that. I won't. The oracle says you have to. Why? Because you're the one. And here he asks straight up, does this mean what I think it means? Are you saying what I think you are saying? What if I can't? What happens if I fail? And then the oracle says, then Zion will fall. They then start to say their goodbyes. She nudges him off on his little red herring, which supposedly won't get them far, but ends up being the first of a series of a chain of events unfolding. So she sends him to the keymaker. There are more philosophical questions there. The oracle says, Seems like every time we meet, I've got nothing but bad news. I'm sorry about that. I surely am. But for what it's worth... You've made a believer out of me. This dynamic between the Oracle and Neo is tremendously vast. These implications of bigger picture events resting on what it is that he thinks he needs to do make it clear that our path is really one path. Everything is involved on it. Everything is significant on it. And even these small gestures, like taking candy, understanding a choice, are reflective of the overall narrative. And it's quite important to understand what happens next, after this scene. Because Neo began this scene as someone who had self-knowledge, knew what he wanted, and had come fully-fledged into this role as the Chosen One, and after just a few conversations, a few lines of dialogue with this oracle, she has undermined him and said, you should have figured this out by now. 
and also told him that his most pure and precious thing might die, and it's up to him to understand that choice. And he's also said, no, I won't do it. This is a full circle spin. In the space of a few minutes, he's rejecting his identity. He's denying the weight of the responsibility. And just a few moments after he's had these realizations, and everything has been torn out from underneath his feet, and the weight, the full weight of his responsibility has come crushing down on him, he gets confronted by Agent Smith, his nemesis. This is the most important insight of perhaps the entire movie. Because the very thing you thought you'd taken care of, the very enemy you thought you'd killed, is actually still there. And not only that, but he's much bigger, much faster, much more agile, and able to multiply many times. At the very moment that Neo is feeling his most vulnerable in the reaction that he's having against new information about his story, his narrative, his personal responsibilities, in relation to existential themes, Agent Smith turns up. At that very moment, he is confronted with so much more than he can deal with. And when Smith turns up, Smith is educating him. Smith is telling him, so we're connected. So you've got me unplugged. You've helped me. Isn't that a punch in the face? To be told that your very darkest enemy was helped by you and he's now going to use that power against you. Your dark side is fed by you. Your enemy knows more than you. And he's so comfortable with how much he knows about the relation between good and bad that Agent Smith can give up free information. He just tells Neo how things are. We're all here because of purpose. It's purpose that drives us, that defines us. And what is it that we can learn from these insights? It's a tremendously beautiful scene. It's extraordinarily powerful dialogue. There are philosophical implications because of the relationship between the micro and the macro. And there are existential realizations because how things are connected is brought to light. And what is it that Neo does? How does he contend with these things? Of course, the choice that he is making is a lot more complicated than just whether Trinity lives or dies, because choices are nested in a web of different contexts and different opposing forces. I think the ultimate insight is that we do come into new paradigms and we do gain new understanding, new confidences. But it's naive of us to think that that's not going to happen again. It's naive of us not to see that this is a pattern. It's naive of us to not see how bad our dark side is, how dangerous our enemy is, how our enemy is connected to us. 
The significance of our story is what drives us. It's our understanding of our narrative and our end point that drives us. Because, of course, you can say that it's a positive light, that Neo now understands that he needs to return to the source. But what's unclear at this stage of the story is how he makes his way there. The actual way that he ends up making his way there is very different to how we might first think that it would unfold. So the theme of the story unfolding in a different way to what we thought, and yet still having endpoints the same, is quite important. Can we not say that about our own lives? Can we not say all of this about our own lives? New information coming in, a change of perspective, a newfound confidence, and then being confronted with new information. Information that is much more significant than even our first confrontation with new perspective. What does it mean to learn that we're always going to be challenged again and again with new paradigms? What does it mean to play that game? Some commentators have noticed that the candy that the oracle gave to Neo was red and pill-like in its shape. This is another reference to the red pill, blue pill. It's quite interesting that here she's not offering him a choice between the red pill and the blue pill. Here he seemingly has to take the truth. Another tie back into this idea that he's already made the choice and he just needs to understand it. The idea of being aware of the choice we make between knowledge and ignorance, simply an illusion. And a lot of the implications are tied in with other scenes in the Matrix. And there are a lot of things that we can say to compare different scenes and different places. But I think for today, we can just leave it with the Oracle scene, which is quite a nice scene, and I do like it quite a lot. So I've really enjoyed talking about it. And it is pretty heavy if you can understand the implications. And if you could see yourself in Neo's shoes, you can see your own life story in your own way. It's a bit of a hero's journey. It's a bit of a way to be understanding your own motivations, your own narrative. And that's what philosophical metaphors are all about anyway. I know it's a bit heavy, this one, so I'll leave us with some happy outro music to liven up the spirits. Thanks very much for tuning in. We'll be back soon with more. Have a wonderful day.